You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity to come together at camp meeting. We thank you for the many blessings we've already received. I pray, Lord, that this seminar and the others would just uh, bring revival, rejuvenation spiritually to your people. And Lord, empower us to be a greater witness when we go back to our homes. Bless our time this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, also, if you don't, so let me back up a little bit more. My name is Mark Howard. I am the Associate Director of the Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department here in the Michigan Conference. The gentleman passing out those flyers is Pastor Cameron DeVazer. He is the director of that department. And my wife, Stephanie, was in here. She actually is assisting with our department. She's the uh, administrative secretary assistant. Sorry, administrative assistant is the official title. And also, as most or all of you should know, does the accommodations work now for camp meeting? <laughs> so you had to go through her or Deanna Hutchins and or to get here. But at any rate, uh, and that's, wow, that's a job. And of course, some of you remember Jody Murphy. We lost Jody Murphy um, a little over a year ago. She passed away and Jody just did, a, we're learning all that Jody did to get ready for camp meeting. And uh, um, at any rate, but that's, um, you know, Pastor Cameron and I in our department, one of our responsibilities is personal ministries. And personal ministries, the goal of personal ministries, how many of you are personal ministries leaders? Okay. You know as leaders that most of the members don't realize that the role of the personal ministries leader is to get everyone in the church active in personal evangelism. You know that as a leader because oftentimes the people in church are like, why are you pressing me? Go talk to the specialists over here, right? We have this mindset like there's the specialist five or ten people in the church that are really good at going out and witnessing, and the rest of us, we're, just, we're, bit, we're good with other things. It's not my gift, we say. But the personal ministries leader's job is to get everybody involved. And Bible study offer was, and, and I'm going to talk about this more a little bit tomorrow, but it was really developed to aid the personal ministries leader to get every church member active in soul winning. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about, now this, the, the, the week's seminar is predicated on our relaunch of BibleStudyOffer.com. BibleStudyOffer.com uh, was actually birthed out of Unlock Revelation. How many of you were here in Michigan when we did the first Unlock Revelation in 2016? Okay, we did conference-wide evangelistic meetings. I'm here because of it. You're here because of it. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Now, the idea behind Unlock Revelation, of course, as a church, we've always, that we understand our mission is to proclaim the three angels' messages, and we do that on a regular basis. Public evangelistic meetings is one of the things that we do to do that, the proclamation of the message. The idea of Unlock Revelation was, what if we pooled our, primarily it's advertising, because that's the most expensive part about, you know, proclaiming the message is advertising materials and getting people aware of it. And if we as a conference, we figured if we could do this and launch where everybody started a meeting at the same date, then we can advertise for that series. And we all use the same series title. Now, just so you understand, pastors had the liberty 
to modify. The series weren't all exactly the same. If a pastor had different topics, different number of some, one pastor may have 15 meetings and one may have 25 meetings. But they all started on the same night with the same message, with the same meeting title, Unlock Revelation, and then we could advertise across Michigan and we saw a huge uptick in opening night attendance. Thank you. All right. Um, and you're still working on that. So we saw a huge uptick in our attendance because of that advertising, that collaboration with advertising. And it was coming out of that, my brother Jim Howard, some of you know, in fact, my brother Jim was just elected as the personal ministry, Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Director for the General Conference at the, at the session just last week, was it? <laughs> anyway, um, so he has, thank you, Pastor Phil, for all your work on that. So at any rate, he was here in this conference at the time working as the Director of Sabbath School and Personal Ministries, and he got to thinking to himself, you know, we, we put this money and advertising and what have you into the evangelistic series, but what if we were to do that with something like getting Bible studies? It had that same kind of awareness to try to increase, because the bottom line is this, and you're going to hear us say more, I'm going to say more about this later this week. One of the biggest challenges I think we run into, and I say we, I don't know, you know how that applies to this group or beyond you to the local members, to what ratio or whatever, but many Seventh-day Adventists do not understand what it takes to win a soul. We get an interest lead card and we run to that. We, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to check this person, ask for Bible studies. Could be a Bible study offer interest. Could be some other kind of interest. And we go and the person just kind of, uh, well, I'm not, you know, I fill that out. And they just express non-interest. And we say, well, that doesn't work. Many of us just give up and don't realize that this is not just limited to Christianity and Bible studies. People often respond to things and then later on just don't want it. Okay? So, for example, when we do evangelistic, we do advertising for evangelistic meetings, we send out evangelistic flyers and we typically send out, we typically get a response of one interest. Like if we're going to have an evangelistic meeting, if I send out evangelistic meeting flyers, I'll get one person on average, to come out for every thousand flyers I sent out. And those flyers aren't cheap. And so we look at the cost of that, and a lot of church members are tempted to say, I've heard this over and over, ah, that's, what a waste of money. I'm not even going to bother sending those out because we only get one per thousand. So I like to remind members that Direct TV also only gets one per thousand. But you're not going to stop getting their flyers in your mailbox. You know why? because they got one. That's how they do business. Now, there are other things that you can do to enhance that, maybe increase that, and we've worked on, and we're working on that with BSO, social media advertising, etc. But the point is, that's just how it works. And when you're trying to win souls, you're going to go through, you may have a lot of people express interest in Bible studies, and then you'll go, say you have 10 people who expressed an interest, and you go and follow up on those interests, you might only have three of those that actually say, yeah, I'm going to go forward and do some Bible studies. And then you may have one of those who sticks with it. You don't know what happened to the rest of them. You don't know if the other two who went halfway through the Bible studies and dropped off, you don't know what impact that's going to have. So there's a lot of more faith needed in soul winning work. 
And there's a reason it's called soul winning labor. <laughs> it's not easy and the fruit doesn't just drop off the trees, but the Lord will help us win souls through these efforts. So Bible study offered, the idea was we want something to generate more interest because the more interest you start with, the more results you're going to end up with, despite the fact that people are going to drop out and whatever else. And so that's how Bible study offer got started. We wanted to have something that would, you know, increase the number of interests and responses we received. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and quite a bit more actually tomorrow in tomorrow's message uh, tomorrow morning's topic. But we've noted now for several years with Bible study offer that there has been a need for uh, some updates. For example, when COVID first hit, one of the things that I began thinking is what an opportunity we missed with BibleStudyOffer.com because our advertising was just BibleStudyOffer.com, and I thought, what if we would have had something attached to that, where we said, you know, has the Bible talked about, uh, or, or did you know the Bible talked about the pandemic? I'm just coming off the top of my head. Maybe you'd word it different. BibleStudyOffer.com, what would that have done? You know, maybe get people thinking, oh, wow, there's answers in the Bible. Now, I didn't know that. And so there were opportunities, it just made me think, and our department think about some of the opportunities that maybe we could uh, uh, increase with different advertising. And so we'll be sharing some of that this week. The BibleStudyOffer.com website and the sign-up process for coordinators, if any of you are Bible Study Offer coordinators, there were some challenges there that needed to be addressed and fixed. And so we have been working on those, which again, that's why we're here this week, sharing some of those things with you. I mean, I'm really excited about what we have been able to do in that, with that website, sign up process, functionality of, you know, tracking interests, of logging in and that kind of thing. So that was a thing we noticed needed to be fixed. Uh, and these are not little fixes. <laughs> when you're talking, you're talking about, um, you know, I don't know how many, if anybody here, has anybody here ever built a website? Okay, I've built, I built our, our Sabbath School Personal Ministries website. I mean, they're templates and you can do simple websites and things like that. But something like Bible Study Offer is not a simple website. There's all kinds of layers of, you need a programmer to be able to put that together. And the fact is that up until this time, we had a guy freelancing BibleStudyOffer.com. And so what that means, and incidentally, while, while he's a missionary in Thailand or Cambodia, Cameron, <laughs> And so it's just, so to try to get the updates when you need them, and he would run into things he didn't know how to do, so he would have to, he knows enough to kind of like YouTube it <laughs> and then find out what to do, but it just takes time. So to try to get the changes done when we needed to get the changes done, all of these things were things that we recognized needed fixed. We just, uh, I, something else I should add is when my brother Jim was in the personal ministries department, it was him as the director, and then his wife worked as part-time secretary of the department. So there was no associate in Sabbath school personal ministries. And what often happened is when it, when it came to Sabbath school, I mean, something always gets left. Like some things in the conference office, it's just like you pass the hat around. It's like, here, you're going to wear this hat for a while. I can't do anything with it. I don't have any more time. That's fine. Somebody has to hold the title. That's kind of how it works. Like right now in our department, that's kind of how it's working with prison ministries. Cameron and I want to do a lot more with prison ministries, and we've tapped into some lay people by, of necessity. There's just not time to do everything. So we, 
when Cameron came into the Sabbath School Personal Ministries Department, they brought me in as his associate. Part of the reason for that was they wanted to do more personal ministries training, and that's what I was doing through Emanuel Institute. They said, why don't we just fold that into the conference office? So that added an element. So Cameron got a helper that my brother didn't have, but there was also more work to do. And then Sabbath School, we decided to do something with Sabbath School. And so some of you are familiar with the talking points thing that we do, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. And then when Wes Peppers took a call to It Is Written, they gave us evangelism coordination. So we're currently coordinating for evangelism for the conference, and we've got some exciting stuff coming up for 2023. You're going to hear about that next Sabbath. But, you know, just more stuff comes, comes up and, and needs to be done. So we've seen some of these things with Bible study offer, but, you know, you have to kind of count the cost, as the Bible says. Now, I don't want to start this project until I can finish it kind of thing. So... We saw the need in, in the different things I said, the, the sign-up process and the website needed some things that were fixed. Something else that needed fixed, and I hope I'm preaching to the choir here, is we had no system in place to address churches that were not following up their interests promptly. There's nothing worse than trying to run. Can you imagine if Amazon was running their business and promising two-day delivery, and then it didn't get there for two weeks, if at all? We're advertising Bible studies, and you're going to have these Bible studies, and people don't get them. And, and churches, for whatever reason, somebody couldn't log in, somebody could, and there was no, we had no way of monitoring that. And that kills, a, so I really believe that has hurt Bible study offer in a lot of ways. We've talked to a lot of churches, we, we don't even do it anymore, it's not generating interest. There's no, there's, it's not a mystery why it's not generating interest for you if you're not following up on the interest, et cetera, or other churches and whatever else. So that was something that needed to be addressed. And then some of you may or may not know that the Bible study offer orders were handled by the Adventist Book Center in Lansing. That doesn't exist anymore, right? So Indiana took over Adventist Book Center responsibilities and Bible study offer responsibilities went to Seminars Unlimited in Texas. So there's been that shift. And then the shift of, they had to acquire all the materials and get the materials there and so all of these things were, were several pieces, the printing and processing of BSO materials changed hands, and all of this, all of these things led us to repeatedly say, we've got to do something with BSO. And I suppose I would say the main reason for that is I honestly believe, and maybe by the end of the, the, the week you'll really be right on board with this, that BSO is... Man, I would dare say the most important ministry in this conference. It has the most potential, and I don't think we've tied into the potential nearly as much as we could. So, that's the reason for this seminar. So, with the approval of our conference leadership, our executive committee, we contracted with two top-notch companies to redesign the Bible study offer logo, to redesign the to work on the process, the branding and all of these things. And we're super excited to be sharing with you this week some of those changes. Now, the Bible study offer, the new BibleStudyOffer.com is not going to be launched. Do you see the card there? Till July 23rd. So you're getting, you're getting a preview before you're get, being able to get right on the website and that kind of thing. Um, it's, and, and part of the reason for that is, you know, we've got all the new materials that have to be printed and we're processing that with Seminars Unlimited and what have you. But you're going to be hearing that this week. So with all that said, 
Here's an overview of the week. Today's presentation is called a Bible study reformation and it's just laying the groundwork, not just for BSO, but the importance of personal Bible studies. Why this is such an important thing and who God is called to do this. Okay. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to be talking about the power of personal ministry and showing where Bible study offer fits into the big picture. Now I've had people say, well, now you guys are all about talking about Bible studies. But there's a lot more to do in witnessing than Bible studies. You got to make friends with people. You got to win their... We know that. We're the personal ministries and evangelism department. So tomorrow I want to talk about how it fits into the big picture. Now I'm all for making friends with people and building those bridges. But here's a problem we're running into and I'm going to talk about it today. A lot of the bridges get halfway across the water and they stop building because people don't want to mess up the friendship by getting spiritual <laughs> and starting to talk about the Bible and Bible studies and truths of the Bible. And so we want to talk about how BSO fits in so perfectly into that building friends and transitioning people to a saving relationship with Jesus. So that's going to be our focus on Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to start moving into the real nuts and bolts of the new Bible study offer. Um, Wednesday is called Establishing Your BSO Bible School. Now, some of you already have BSO working in your churches, maybe all of you. Maybe some of you haven't started it up yet. Okay, doesn't matter. Either way, with the new BSO, everybody's going to have to re-up. <laughs> and part of the reason for that is that um, when you sign up, there's, you're going to have a little agreement about you following up on the interests, and there's going to be a little, and I, I, Cameron will share more of this a little bit later in the week, but if a church does not follow up on its interest promptly, you'll get a notice. But if you get too many notices, you're going to be, your, your account will be removed and your interest will be given to somebody else. Uh, because we, you can't have, so that will be, and we don't want that to, to spring that on somebody. We want, when you sign up, it's like, this is, understand up front, this is going to be how this works. It needs to work this way and we want people to understand the process. And, and so organizing, getting your people in the church who are going to be willing to follow up on the interest, that's a key part. You know, you can log on and get your username, but that's not going to help you if you don't have people in the church who are going to run on the interest. So all of this, getting that Bible school set up in your local church, what are your things, things you need to take into account? That's going to be Wednesday, establishing your BSO Bible school. Thursday, we're going to, be, we're going to walk through how BSO works through the website from the interest side of things, like I'm a person and I see a BSO billboard or I get a card or something and I sign up, what's the process like from that person's standpoint? What happens once they click? And, and then from the back end as a coordinator or a study leader, and we've modified the um, website so that the, the study leader now can access and record. In fact, there's a, the website is super mobile friendly so that now as a study leader, if you're running on a, an interest, you've got a Bible study offer interest and you're going to drop off the studies, you can get on your smartphone and record right there what you did and all the, the, you know, which we didn't have that option before. You had to come back and you had to tell the coordinator and then the coordinator had to record everything in there and it just made it a little cumbersome for the coordinator. So Cameron will be talking about some of those pieces of the walking through that BSO. BSO from A to Z, what happens from the first click? That's our Thursday um, presentation. And then finally, Friday, how to maximize the potential of BSO. Got churches who say, yes, yeah, just not working. We're not getting a lot of interest. Or we're not getting a lot of follow through. 
What can you do differently? I think there's some tips we can give you. The title is From Click to Christ, Winning Souls with BSO. And I really believe the Lord is going to bring us some more souls this year through Bible study offer. Now, having said all that, I want to give you a history. Perhaps some of you know the history of the question and answer Bible study. It is fairly unique to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I mean, not now, but it was. It's almost hard for me to grasp that there was a time where people didn't do a question and answer Bible study like we do. But it actually is interesting to me that this came about at a camp meeting. Isn't that great? And here we are at camp meeting talking about, so here's the history. It was 1883. Some of you know the name Stephen Haskell, S.N. Haskell. He was preaching a series at a camp meeting. And in those days, I don't want to say in those days, you know, sometimes people try to find fault with our camp meetings and say, we used to tell, camp meetings used to be, we'd go into a big city and, and, new t and we'd go and preach like an evangelistic meeting, where now we do it all for ourselves. Well, that's not entirely true, really. We actually, in fact, we get all kinds of folks who come to a camp meeting like this. Um, but it isn't like the big evangelistic meeting mode. And there, there are reasons for both. This is kind of like one of those feasts that Israel would come to where the people gather, and we still have plenty of non-Adventists who come onto the ground, but it's a spiritual revival. Right. Stephen Haskell's preaching in a tent in Southern California, and a violent storm comes up. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a tent meeting in a violent storm. I remember my first evangelistic meeting, I actually, we pitched a tent. It was in Fredericton, Ohio by the police station. It was a perfect spot. We had a great crowd, and one of the nights of the meeting, this storm came up. And we had in the tent, we had a projector, and we had the, you know, all our, we, of course, a sound system and all this stuff, you know, because it, it wasn't 1800s. And this storm comes up, and the wind is blowing, and the, and the you know, the thunderstorm. And uh, I'm surprised the folks, <laughs> I mean, I guess they could have made for the hills, right? The flaps on the tent were, were kind of blowing vertically, you know, kind of like that's the wind. So to pull those down, the rain's coming down and the rain is coming in. And I, I remember that the, one of the seams, it was right over the soundboard, right? So the guy on the soundboard adheres it, so he's got to cover this all up. But I'll tell you, and our power went out. You know, so there go the slides and everything else. I always tell young pastors, always have some backup. <laughs> to your electronics so you can continue presenting when the power goes out. I tell you that this morning knowing that all I have here is my iPad, my memory, and my memory backup business. But at any rate, <laughs> this storm came up and you just, it's loud. You know, there's a lot of wind and the rain and the thunder. And well, this happened with Stephen Haskell and he couldn't, the, the crowd couldn't hear him. They couldn't hear him clearly in preaching. So he's He's thinking, what do I do in this situation? And this idea hits him to change up his format. And instead of preaching, to begin asking people questions and then having them look up the Bible text. So he might shout out something like, what two characteristics does the Bible give us to help us identify God's remnant church? Could somebody look up Revelation 12, 17? Right? And then so somebody looks up Revelation 12, 17 and reads it. And then they identify and they answer the question with the Bible text. And then he would ask another question. And so he conducted the rest of the meeting this way. Now, as our history has it, uh, William White was there, Ellen White's son, W.C. White. And he 
apparently Ellen White was on the ground. She was not at that particular meeting that evening. And so Willie White tells his mother after the meeting what happened. Oh, man, this storm came up. It was an incredible meeting. But boy, the Lord really blessed Brother Haskell. He began to call out the Bible questions and had the people read the text. And it just electrified the meeting. The people just loved it. And when Ellen White heard that, she looked at him and she said, I've seen that this is a method that God would use as we come closer to the end of time to help people fix their minds, to fasten the truth in the minds of the people. So it was in response to this, uh, later on Ellen White wrote in Gospel Workers 192, the plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven... Now this is what they called them in those days. How many of you know that? It's a Bible readings, what... That, isn't that something different? No, Bible readings was the name they gave to those question-answer Bible studies. And if you happen to have, which many of you probably do, a little book called Bible Readings for the Home, what is it? It's a book of question-answer Bible study. And so Ellen White says, the plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. There are many, both men and women, who can engage in this branch of missionary labor. Workers may thus be developed. Now listen, thus, or in this way, be developed. Now if a worker is being developed, what does that say about their skill set? It has room for improvement. improvement. No, we think we give Bible studies when you already have all the skills. She says this is a manner that a person's skills can be improved. Workers may thus be developed who will become mighty men of God. By this means... The word of God has been given to thousands and the workers are brought into personal contact with people of all nations and tongues. Now, we're going to talk about that personal contact more tomorrow. That personal aspect of things is God's method, Christ's method of reaching people. Now, this idea, of course, of holding Bible readings caught on very quickly in the Adventist church to the point. It's almost some of these things that we read in our history. It's just fascinating. So they the, the members just all got excited about giving Bible readings. And not only giving them, but what would happen is they started a paper in the church called the Bible Reading, Bible Reading, Bible Reader, Bible, Bible Reading Gazette. And they would invite members to send in Bible readings on whatever topic they were, so people would put together, you know, question answers. The early Bible readings contained a hundred or more questions. <laughs> That'd be quite a Bible study. Okay. Needless to say, over time, they shrunk a little bit, a little more timely. Um, I wish I had handy. Uh, there's a little book that was published in the 1950s. I think it's called, um, I have a couple of them. They used to have a, a personal ministries department it used to be called the home missionary department. And they, they had, there's a little book that has some of those readings in them. And the longest one has some, a little over 150 questions. And the shortest was somewhere in the range of 70 questions, I think. Anyway, that's how they were early on. And people would send in their Bible readings. And, of course, the Bible readings for the home circle is more of the shorter versions as you read through the Bible readings, which is an awesome, it's an awesome little book. It's a great resource for somebody giving Bible studies. But that's how they began. And I just want you to understand that that method is something that Ellen White said God had shown her would be effective in reaching people. And 
I guess I want to emphasize that because I've had, you know, when you've been in the church for a while, I don't know, you, you, we can tend to get tired of routine. Now, I understand that to a degree, but sometimes we want to change up everything and make it different. In fact, I was in one church where they, you know, you have, you get up and you typically will have your welcome and announcements, and then you'll have your invocation prayer, and then you'll have the, you know, offering and the children's story, and you have a sequence of things. And I was in one particular church where they just changed that up all the time. And maybe you have a church like that. Just because, you know, get out of the monotony. Okay, whatever. That's fine if you want to do that. But I don't think our problem is routine. Uh, the fact that you have a, an order of things. I think the problem is Laodiceanism. Amen. I mean, orderliness does not... God, we're told in inspiration that God is a God of order and that everything in heaven is perfect order. Yeah. And I'll guarantee none of us would be dozing off in heaven's worship services. Okay? So anyway, I say this to say, you know, sometimes we get an idea that we're going to... This has happened with Bible studies. It's like, yeah, those question answer Bible studies are okay, but we need something more. And so I, I as again, now in personal ministries department, always have people throwing an idea out. Now, don't get me wrong. We need lots of ideas to reach people. Whatever we've got to reach people, and God will impress you and each one of you with different ways to reach people, and I say praise the Lord for that. But when it comes to giving Bible studies, now there's a Bible study series I won't mention, but I'm just giving this as an example. Somebody had, oh, I, there's this new Bible study series, and it's a set, and it's, I love this set, and it's, a, you know, this beautiful, beautifully printed design and everything else set, and this person loves it because, you know, it's, it's got a great presentation, give to people, etc. Um, and so they were trying to sell me on it. Um, but through contact with a number of individuals giving this set, it was more of a narrative. It wasn't a question and answer. It's just written, you know, so you read this little article on whatever topic. Well, great. The problem is, and some of the people using that set would run into this later on, it's like, yeah, but the people I'm studying with, they don't, not, they don't seem to be getting it. And there's something about that question and then look up the answer in the Bible that does something to solidify the truth in a person's mind different than just reading an article. It's just like me. I can talk up here and talk up here, and there's a why. You know, some of you are just going to be like, uh. Then I'll start saying, what do you think about that? And then you're going to go, huh? right? Oh, oh what, did he, what did he just say? Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. So when the question is asked, you, you, everything turns in your mind. It's different. The way you pay attention is different. And at least that's, I don't have, that's just a conjecture of mine as to one of the things that, reasons that maybe the question answer Bible study is so effective. But I'm telling you, we have it on inspiration that this method is more effective in fixing the truth in people's minds. Something else I've noted, and I teach this when I teach how to give Bible studies, one of the powerful things about the question answer Bible study method is that it teaches people how to study the Bible for themselves and how to get the truth out of the Bible for themselves if you teach it right. Now, when I say that, I know some people give Bible studies and they, want, they do all the talking. So they ask the question and then they, they read the text and then they give the answer and the, the person's on the other side of the table or so far or whatever else just like this, right? Listening, I don't, they're not engaged in it. And what happens in that situation is that person begins to learn that you know a lot about the Bible. And if they have any questions about the Bible, they need to do what? Come to you, right? But if you can get them to read the text and then 
Look in there for the answer. And you ask the question again. So what are these identifying characteristics of the remnant church? And they're looking at that passage and maybe they don't get it, but you don't give them the answer. You just say, well, let's look at the text again. What does it say? Here are those who keep the commandments of God and what? Have the, and, and what begins to happen is they start getting the answer for themselves. And, and if you've done Bible studies with people, you start to see the excitement. You know how many Christians, Christians, I'm not talking about the atheist. I'm not talking about the person who's never had expo any exposure to the Bible. Christians who go to church, they're going to Sunday school, they, the whole lives, they went to Sunday school and listened to the sermons, but don't understand that they can know the Bible for themselves. And they sit in those studies and they say, this is amazing. And that you start to see them get excited because they realize they don't need some kind of degree to understand what God's saying to them in his word. So, oh, there's so much powerful stuff about Bible. So the question and answer Bible study. I mean, that's, that was the history of how it began. And I just want you to know that, that we have inspired counsel that affirms that method. If our common sense didn't tell us the same thing. So one of the challenges we're facing today is this. Most yeah, I can say most, easily say most, Seventh-day Adventist church members don't give Bible studies, have never given a Bible study, um, don't ever intend to give a Bible study. Now, the intention thing is a big one. And I tell people this a lot. I can give a seminar like this. I've, I've, I, I've done, so. I can't count all the times I've done trainings and stuff. Adventists love to come to training. It makes us feel good. It's like virtual ministry. But you have to do something with the training. And I'll tell you that the way you even... I talked about the question and answer thing. I ask you a question and it's going to settle in your mind different. You listen differently if you have an intention to do something. If you're like, yeah, I'm going to this seminar. I got some time to kill. I like these guys. They're talking points. They're interesting. I won't fall asleep. And that'll take me till 10, 45 or whatever in camp meeting you're not going to get anything out of this. Right. If you're coming and you're like, I want to give Bible study. I'm not how to, sure how to do it. I want to get our Bible school going in the church. I know we need to do it. I feel a little nervous about it. But if you have the intention, and in your mind you're saying, Lord, here I am. <laughs> I'm willing. <laughs> you're going to listen a lot different, and God's going to do a lot more with it. We have a huge bottleneck. My brother Jim used that phrase when he talked about this with ministry in our local churches because when you look at and i'll talk again about this more tomorrow but when you look at the flow of ministry you've got christ's method of reaching people and he starts out and incidentally ellen white says christ's method alone <laughs> how many other methods should we be studying i mean that kind of rules it out it's like there's one well i'm going to try this one go ahead i loved pastor bradshaw last night i mean there are so many there's several things he brought up in the sermon i can't remember a specific one right now that he was saying you know, some people want to do, he said, go ahead, try, if you want to do that, go ahead, try it out. You know, it's, it's not going to work. So if Christ's method alone, you've got another idea, go ahead, knock yourself out. You'll be back. We'll be talking about Christ's method alone again. But you know, Jesus knew he had to gain confident people's trust and confidence before he started sharing with them spiritual truth. And we've got to do the same. That's the method we follow. To, to try to connect with Jesus. But here's the thing, to connect, with, to, to connect with people and to make friends with people, what kind of things do we do to do that? Almost anything, right? Take them, take them a loaf of bread, offer to rake their lawn, shovel their snow, 
uh, invite them to go to their kids' ball game with them. Whatever. There's all kinds of things. It's making friends 101. And a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are all about that, and they should be. It's like, oh, no, I'm for that. That's great. We need to be doing more of that. We do need to be doing more of that. But we have a lot more people volunteering to do that, and then it's like, okay, and now we want to go and pass out literature. All of a sudden, what happens? That big number gets a little bit smaller. Now we say, now we got to go and give Bible studies, and now what? You had 80 people here, and then you had 40 people who went out to, now you're down to 10, if you're lucky. And again, be, I, I, there are reasons for that. I'm not trying to fault people. I think, I think we, the devil has intimidated us into thinking this is something super complex and complicated to do, to give a Bible study. That we've got to know everything there is to know theologically to give a Bible study, which is not the reality. But for whatever reason, it's created a bottleneck because if God brings to us that, you know, 80 souls. Okay, let's be realistic. If in a local church, when you're trying to work with interests, you know, you, you send out a mailing or something. Let's say you get 10 people who respond. You would think, incidentally, you know, a lot of our churches, we've got some real small churches, but a lot of our churches will have, you know, 40 or 50 in them. Now, Mike, <laughs> you don't have 40 or 50 in yours, but the Lord knows what we need and that kind of thing. So you have, you'd think 10, 10 interests. We can follow up on that. But the reality is when it goes out, when it goes to going out and making friends with people, you get a lot of volunteers for that. But if you take and, and you do that, and let's say we're all making friends and we got all these friends now that we've made, we've generated all these interests. But at the end of the day, those very same interests are going to have to come through Bible studies. And if there aren't the same number of people willing to give Bible studies, what's going to happen? We call it a bottleneck, right? It's, it's all coming down, and my brother Jim would always uh, compare this to a funnel, right? Because the funnel narrows at the end, and everything gets clogged up at the funnel. Because you can't move them through fast enough because, you know, here, here's the church up here at the top of the funnel. And they're all making friends with people. And then here's the two people down here at the neck of the funnel giving Bible studies. And they just can't give enough Bible studies to keep up with the interests. So that, thus it creates this bottleneck. We would see a lot more interest if we had a lot more people willing to give those Bible studies. All right. Now, now you need to get more interest and fill those out. More interests. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that at East Lansing. You can share, maybe uh, this week you'd be able to share some tips on what's happening there at East Lansing to get that, that motivation level. I want to I turn our attention in our in our closing uh, time here, too, I want to first share a statement that you, if you've been in Michigan for a while, you've probably heard this. We've shared it a number of times, different trainings. I've heard it a lot of times and given it a lot of times. It's from the book Gospel Workers. Oftentimes, I've shared it from Christian Service, page 69. I went to Gospel Workers. I want to get more of the context, uh, and you'll see why in a minute. This is a, well, I'll just start with Gospel Workers, page 200. This is the last of, there's a little short section of three paragraphs, and this is the last paragraph. So I'm gonna read this, like we've typically done. I wanna explain a little bit, and then I wanna work our way back, okay? So this is what Ellen White says in Gospel Workers, page 200. It's written to ministers. So this is to me. And the Lord says, let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them the burden of leading souls into the truth. 
There's a lot in that sentence. <laughs> that ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, how important is it for a church member to grow in spirituality? What does that mean to grow in spirituality? Sanctification. That's sanctification. That's readiness for Jesus to come. This is not an optional like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, what church member would honestly be like, yeah, I don't need to grow in spirituality. That's not for me. <laughs> so this is, let, so everybody wants to grow in spirituality, in fact. I mean, I don't know a church member who wouldn't say, yeah, I want to grow in spirituality. What do I do? So here I am as a pastor. I have a hundred ideas of what to tell you, how to grow in spirituality. And now I have an inspired statement from the Lord that says, here's what you need to do, minister. Teach the church members that if they want to grow in spirituality, they've got to carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them. Now, the burden, we don't, burden is not a word we use as much in this context anymore. God has laid a burden on the church members that the pastor is supposed to let them know about. And that's the burden of leading souls into the truth. What's another word we might use for burden instead of burden in this context? A work. I'm looking for something else. What is it? I'm the, they're all good words. Ah, oh, responsibility. That's the word I'm looking for. They're all good words. But uh, we wouldn't say a burden. We'd say a responsibility. God has laid a responsibility upon each member of the church. And that responsibility is the responsibility of leading souls into the truth. Now, when I... And, and, you know, we've used this in our department for a while when we train, partially because of the way it's worded. If, if Ellen White just said the burden of witnessing, witnessing is such a, a, an empty canvas. You know, it's, it, it could be so many different things. And so, but when you talk about leading souls into the truth, folks, there's nothing but Bible studies being mentioned here. I mean, I'm not saying uh, there's more involved to it, but giving Bible studies is part of this. So in other words, for the person like, yeah, that's just not my gift. I'm friendly to people and that kind of thing, but I don't get into giving Bible studies. You can't get there for this statement. And, and, and so I thought, I've shared that with people before, but I get kicked back all the time. It's like, no, I don't, I don't agree with you. So I thought, I want to look at this statement, get the context of it, clarify a little bit. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. But I want you to just understand the premise from the going forward of it. Listen to what she continues to say. In order to grow in spirituality, the church member must carry the burden, the responsibility that the Lord, not the minister, not the personal ministry's director, has laid upon them the responsibility of leading souls, leading souls into the truth. See, is that phraseology, leading, you know, that's not giving a tract, that's not leading souls into the truth. Leading souls into the truth implies a process, something that takes time, something that a person is growing into. That's exactly right. Walking with that person. Now, she, the next sentence. Those who are not fulfilling their responsibility, so now she uses that word, should be visited, prayed with, and labored for. Now, you know who Ellen White usually uses that kind of language for? The lost, <laughs> right? right? You, you pray for them and you labor with them. Laboring with somebody means to help them to surrender to Christ. That's what the language... And now, but she's talking about church members now, the church members who, who aren't going to do this work. They need to be visited, you know, appealed to, prayed with, and labored for. God has called you and empowered you to do this mighty work, right? Laboring with people. 
for the salvation of souls. Now, in case there's some ambiguity there and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm tracking with you, I'm going to go back to the beginning of those three paragraphs. And I just think this is going to be crystal clear for you. But I want you to understand, and the reason I'm sharing this is, it really doesn't count a lot what I have to say. But if the Lord is giving us direction, especially in these last days, that, that's worth something, isn't it? And I just want you to understand this. Now, again, Gospel Workers 200. The, the page starts with this paragraph. It says, When Christ ascended, he left the church and all its interests as a sacred trust to his followers. Right? All the interests that were raised up, he left that to, who's, who's that? You and me, right? He entrusted us with those interests. And the work of the church is not to be left to the minister alone, or you're like, yeah, I know, it's supposed to be the pastor and the elders. The work of the church is not to be left to the minister alone or to a few leading men. Every member should feel that he has entered into a solemn covenant with the Lord to work for the best interest of his cause at all times and under all circumstances. This is the greater context of that statement I started out with. Gospel Workers, page 200. She continues, each... What does that imply? Everyone. Everyone. Each should have some part to act, some burden to bear. If all church members felt an individual responsibility, greater advancement would be made in spiritual things. Isn't that true? I mean, do, I, I, do we have to read that inspiration to say, if I felt that the burden, that the salvation of souls was my responsibility and not just the pastor's responsibility, wouldn't it motivate me to do more? If all church members felt an individual responsibility, greater advancement would be made in spiritual things. And that's, that's not just for them, right? That's for me, right? The greater advancement in my own spirituality, the solemn burden of responsibility resting upon them would lead them to seek God often for strength and grace. So I want you to understand that. Wow, if I carry that, some of you are thinking that now. Wow, if I carry that responsibility, like if that responsibility, think about it for a minute. Let me just say this, and this is not the case, but I'm just, you know, for emphasis here, that the salvation of the souls in your community rests entirely upon you. I mean, you and the Lord, but you, not the pastor, not the elders. You're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> there's no way. That's, right, that's just overwhelming the thought. But here's the thing that she's saying. When we take that individual responsibility, we, we understand how overwhelming it is. What does it do to us? It sends us to the Lord. Maybe more than it would have before. And you, So how else? I mean, what would you expect other than my own personal spirituality to grow if I'm spending more time with the Lord? Even if it's just because of that burden, I'm pleading on my knees with the Lord. Now I'm spending more time with him. And it can't help but result in stronger spiritual life for me. Again, she says, the solemn burden of responsibility resting upon them would lead them to seek God often for strength and grace. Next paragraph. The real character of the church is measured not by the high profession she makes, not by the names enrolled on her book, but by what she is actually doing for the master, by the number of her persevering faithful workers, Personal, unselfish effort will accomplish more for the cause of Christ 
than can be wrought by sermons or creeds. Sermons applies to, you know, the pastor and his work, and that's not all his work, you understand, but, and creeds, you know, those assemblies that sit at general conference and they've gone through and updated the manual and made all the little changes, which are important, all these organs, but that's not what moves the work. It's that personal work that we do. And in that greater context, she says, let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Those who are not fulfilling their responsibilities should be visited, prayed with, labored for. Do not lead the people to depend upon you as ministers. Teach them rather that they are to use their talents in giving the truth to those around them. In thus working, working in this, in this manner, in this way, they will have the cooperation of heavenly angels. Now, I want to hit the pause button here. We're going to shift books for a minute. I don't have the quote in front of me, but I'm going to share it with you. It's from the book Education. Anybody who's ever been through an Emmanuel training has heard me recommend Education, Chapter 31, The Life Work. Every Seventh-day Adventist needs to be familiar with that chapter. It is the life work. It is describing the life work of every Seventh-day Adventist. You're a Seventh-day Adventist. You want to know what God's calling you to do? Read that chapter. And you'll be surprised to learn that he's not called everybody to be pastors and Bible workers. But he has called everybody to minister, to be witnesses for Christ. And, and in that chapter, Ellen White makes this statement. I can't give you the page number. She says that when we go to witness for Jesus... The angels of God will speak through our voices and work by our hands. That is one of the most incredible statements I have ever read. We put so much responsibility on ourselves, like, I can't do this. It's okay, the angels know how to do it. In fact, Ellen White goes on in that, in that statement to say that those who work in this way have the benefit of the angels knowledge and experience <laughs> so i love to share that statement because like i don't know enough well guess what the angels know enough well i don't have that much experience the angels do Amen. they're going to work through you they're going to speak through your voice work through your hands we miss so much of what god could do through us as a channel because we're we're timid and we lack faith in those promises it's god's work he'll do it but he wants to use you and me to do that Amen. and so ellen white says in this that's what she's saying here in thus working, they will have the cooperation of heavenly angels and will obtain an experience that will increase their faith and give them a strong hold on God. So in that greater context, I think it's clear that the responsibility God's given to his people is not just to give a tract, which is a thing we should be doing, and not just to take a loaf of bread to my neighbor, which is something we should be doing, there's a point where we're to be sharing the truth, leading people into understanding the truth. I think one of the things that makes us feel timid about that is because there are many Seventh-day Adventists, and I, I guess I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, having been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years, that only probably in the last five years it's dawned on me. See, I have to tell you a little bit. My family left the Seventh-day Adventist church in my teens. And so when I came through God's miraculous mercy, back into the faith in my mid-20s, I had to study my way into it. In fact, when my parents left the church, it was over the Desmond Ford 
ordeal, and some of you may or may not know, but it's doctrinal stuff. And so when you got all kinds, and your family leaves over doctrine because the Adventist church has its teachings wrong, well, I had to kind of figure that stuff out. And when I came into the church, I just assumed that people in the church who had been there the whole time knew what I just learned. But the reality is when you grow up culturally into a religious system, it doesn't guarantee you know why you believe what you believe. You know what you believe. Oh, yeah, we don't do this, and we don't do this, and we do this, but we don't do this. Why don't you do it? Well, because the church teaches that we don't do it. Why does the church teach you you don't do it? I don't know. <laughs> and so we wonder. We see young people. They graduate academy, and they go off, and they start living this way and dressing this way and doing this thing. Oh, they left the faith. No, they just never knew why. Anyway, I'm telling you, I'm not going to spend that whole another seminar. But if that's the reality, you know, you can in your heart say, oh, I believe this. I'm a part of the Adventist church, you know, but not know where to find what you believe in the Bible. But you're OK with it. You know, OK, I don't we don't I Seventh-day Adventists. You know, I dress a certain way. I don't I don't dress like the world and I'm OK with that. You know, and if you're, I don't know where it is in the Bible, but I'm okay with that. I think Ellen White said something about it. You know, you get that mindset. And so you're okay with it, you're in the church. Well, now you've got to teach somebody else. And incidentally, when you start talking to somebody else about their lifestyle, it's one thing to tell somebody Jesus loves them, and that's great. But when you get to the part of the Bible study where you're teaching them, oh, incidentally, the Bible says you should be living differently, you're not going to do it. And I think this is a big part of why Seventh-day Adventists get reluctant to give Bible studies. Like, I don't know what I would tell them. I don't know myself. And so I want to tell you, if you're in that category or you're working with members in that category, giving Bible studies is the best way to learn. <laughs> For you to learn. You don't have to know everything when you teach somebody else, but the preparation of teaching and then actually teaching and sharing helps to solidify you in those things for yourself. Amen. And so a lot of people hesitate to do the one thing that God would give them to strengthen their own experience. Amen. And that is leading souls into the truth. Uh, now, I was looking just to find a kind of a, a, a statement that would go along with that one to help even clarify a little further. And I found in Notes and Leaflets, page 127, where Ellen White says almost the same thing, just a little bit different wording. You know, so it kind of, for comparison, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, I think gives even a little more clarity. I'm going to share this one. This is page 127 of Notes and Leaflets, Volume 1. It says, Let ministers and responsible men impress the individual members of the church that in order to grow in spirituality, they must take the burden of the work that the Lord has laid upon them. You notice it's very much the same statement, but a little bit different. The burden of leading souls into the truth. Let them teach the people that they should have a strong desire, the ministers and leaders, teach the people, the members, that they should have a strong desire to see those not in the faith converted to the truth. Now that little sentence really clarifies we're talking about what does it take to have a person who's not part of the Adventist faith to be converted, and she doesn't say to Christ, because we can walk away with that and say, oh yeah, yeah, my Baptist friend, he's converted to Christ. That's not what it's talking about. Converted to the truth for these times. Well, what is that? How do you do that? It's through personal Bible study. I mean, they've got to be, the Bible truth has got to be shared with them. Present truth, the truth for this time, has got to be shared with them. And the Lord is calling you and me to do that. And has promised to empower us to do that. 
and there are multitudes of people, and let me just be clear with you, they don't wear it on their face. They don't wear it as a badge on their shirt that says, talk to me about your unique beliefs, you know, and, and turn my life upside down. Okay, but the reality is just because they're not wearing it doesn't mean there aren't people. Listen, I mean, I just think of myself. And a lot of people just think, because I'm a pastor, and I got to talk to people, and so I'm this outgoing, I am not an outgoing person. I'm the guy, if you sit by me on the plane, you won't hear two words out of me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to preach to you all the way. Now, if the Lord opens opportunities and what have you, but I'm just, I'm more reclusive. In fact, I feel, as I'm getting older, I'm getting even more so, and it's <laughs> scaring me. So my point is this, that I'm the, I'm the guy, you're not, you're not going to know a lot, even... It, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about me. I don't wear who I am out. I'm not trying to fake something or be, but it's just my personal life is personal. And, and I know that there are a lot of people in society that they got good jobs, pay good money, and they got you know nice families and everything else, and they drive fancy cars, and, they, and you're going to assume that, oh, they're not interested in the truth for these times. And little do you know, the longing that goes on in their lives, wishing for something better. And, and, and I mean, I don't want to just single out the higher classes. Look, across the board, there are people, Ellen White tells us, who are wistfully looking towards heaven. And so with our goal and with this seminar, we're hoping to get more of our people mobilized to find those individuals and lead them into the truth. And I'm encouraged by a statement that I'm going to finish with from Ellen White where she actually saw the revival that was to take place just before the coming of Christ. Now we talk about it, we pray, we should be praying for revival, praying for the outpouring of the latter rain. You know, the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 10, ask ye rain in the time of the latter rain. And Ellen White commenting on that says, just because it's the time of the rain doesn't mean God's going to send it. You've got to ask for it. We should be praying for latter rain power and the Holy Spirit's revival. But what's that going to look like? Well, Ellen White got a glimpse of what it looked like. And I want to share that in closing. She says, in, uh, this is found in Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 126. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed, and other miracles were wrought. Now listen to this next sentence. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's one after this. So, the sick were healed, other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even as was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. So, you know, you're seeing this. This is Holy Spirit revival. We're talking latter rain time, you know. Did... Testimonies 9, page 126. Now listen to the next sentence. Hundreds and thousands. I just want to pause here and let you know the pastoral force in the Seventh-day Adventist church does not come anywhere near. I'm talking about worldwide. Doesn't come anywhere near hundreds and thousands. Pastor Cameron, what do we have here? About 100 pastors in Michigan, and we're one of the bigger conferences in North America. Hundreds and thousands. This is more people than pastors and elders and church officers. So I'm, I'm highlighting that to say this must include who? All the lay people. 
Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. Now listen, this is yet to come. We are right on the verge of this. And I want you to understand, I know some of you have been involved in ministry, trying to share your faith, and you feel like nobody's ever interested, and I can't ever get anywhere with it. The Lord's preparing you for this time. Don't think that, that all is lost. First of all, any time we witness to somebody, the Lord's going to use it, and he's going to water that seed sown. But there's also a time coming where there's going to be an interest that's opened up. I'm going to tell you right now, if we were in the place that Russia and Ukraine were in, in America... People would have a different attitude in regard to their interest in the truth. And I'm going to tell you this as well, and it may be unsettling, but I think Pastor talked about it last night, Pastor Bradshaw, that if that's what it takes to awaken people to an interest in the truth, then God will do it. She sees this, this revival and hundreds and thousands opening before people the word of God. On every side, doors, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence Great blessings were received, etc., etc. What a powerful statement. She saw this in vision, hundreds and thousands. And I like to think that among those hundreds and thousands of faces, she saw your face going out and sharing with somebody that's going to have eternity because of it. There is no greater privilege than to be a part of this work. It's time for a Bible study reformation in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I believe the Lord is moving in that direction. I'm a little bit over time, so I apologize. Um, tomorrow I want to talk more about, you know, I talked a little bit about the effectiveness of that question-answer Bible study, but I really want to talk and fold this into that personal work and just that process of us, you know, when we are making those friends and transitioning into the Bible study, that whole context I want to talk about that a little bit more, the effectiveness of it and where BSO comes in. That's what we're going to do tomorrow. I hope it was a blessing today, and I want to pray for God's blessing for you for throughout the remainder of the day in this camp meeting, so let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you for calling us to this wonderful work, for laying the responsibility on us that will help us to grow spiritually. And Lord, I pray that for those here that you would give each of us confidence to know that this is not our work, it's your work. And us being willing to be used by you will just uh, come back upon us as a huge personal spiritual blessing as well as blessing others to have a place in your kingdom. And Lord, for many of us, we want to go back and inspire our fellow church members, brothers and sisters, and the young people with this same responsibility slash blessing that you've given to each one of us. I want to pray now, Lord, for the other seminars going on today, that you would uh, pour your spirit out upon the speakers. I want to pray for our um, headline speakers, Lord, and all of our interactions. And I want to pray, Lord, that coming out of this camp meeting, we will be spiritually revived and the people who come in contact with us will see something different, that we have been spending time with Jesus. We ask and pray all of these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 22 
or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.